0: Today's case will talk about a kidnapping which lasted 3,096 days, almost nine years. It was only due to the victim's survival instinct, never giving up trying to be free, that when the right moment presented itself, she acted without hesitation and escaped. For many years, Natasha refused to confirm whether or not she had suffered sexual abuse during her imprisonment. In her official statement, In interviews and in her autobiography published in 2010, our main source of research here, she announced that this would be the only part of her story that she would keep private. Only in 2013, in an interview given to a German TV on the occasion of the worldwide release of the film 3096 Days of Captivity, based on her autobiography, Natasha admitted that she had been abused while in there. She had wanted to keep this hidden, but it was taken from her against her will. That is why, in today's case, I will not discuss that aspect of the narrative out of respect for her. This is the story of Natasha kampush In 1988, Brigitta Cerny was 38 years old, with two adult daughters, born when she was 18 and 19 years old. She had been living for three years with Ludwig Koch, and on February 17, 1988, in Austria, Brigitte gave birth to a third daughter, Natasha Kampusch. Natasha lived with her family in a large housing estate on the northern outskirts of Vienna. Her half sisters took care of her with great care and attention. Her mother was an energetic, determined person, but she had difficulty showing emotion. She was not the type of person to hold a child affectionately or to calm a child who was crying in pain or fear. Tears, weakness and excessive displays of affection bothered her deeply. Natasha's father, Ludwig, was the opposite. He was affectionate and hugged and played with Natasha. However, he was not a good companion for his wife. He drank a lot, spent nights with friends in bars was irresponsible with the family's finances and was unfaithful to his wife. Obviously, this behaviour caused a lot of conflict between the couple, and Natasha's family environment was not a peaceful one. For Natasha, her grandmother was her most important caregiver, offering affection, stability and protection in equal measures. Natasha's parents separated in 1993 when she was five years old, The debts, financial problems, personality differences and infidelity had become unbearable. The hostile, unstable family environment that was so indifferent to a child's emotional needs caused Natasha to become insecure and introverted. The constant verbal reprimands and slaps reminded her that, as a child, she was the weaker party. At age nine, Natasha began to compensate for her unfulfilled emotional needs with food. She fought sadness, loneliness and boredom with sweets. She gained an unhealthy amount of weight. She participated in fewer and fewer games and physical activities and the other children started to tease her. Natasha and her father spent the last week of February 1998 in Hungary. The trip was not at all pleasant for her. At the age of ten, she had to accompany her father on nights out at bars, parties and drinking. At the end of the trip, as usual, her father was very late taking Natasha back home, arriving much later than the time agreed with Brigitte. She was furious and ended up taking her anger out on the girl. She threatened to never allow her to stay with her father again, which left Natasha feeling sad and angry. The next day, March 2nd, Natasha woke up early to go to school, but she was still sad and upset. She had already convinced her mother to let her travel to school alone as, after all, the other ten-year-old children had already reached this independence milestone. Natasha put on her red coat, picked up her backpack, packed the sandwich her mother had prepared for her, And left without looking back or saying goodbye. Natasha was walking along the sidewalk when her gaze stopped at a white pickup truck parked at the side of the road. In front of her, she saw a man standing, looking around disinterestedly. She felt a certain fear, but continued on. As she passed him, the man grabbed her by the waist and threw her into the truck. Natasha was being kidnapped. Her kidnapper was Wolfgang Pricklopil, a 36-year-old telecommunications engineer who worked as a technician at Siemens and later as a freelancer carrying out renovations in houses and apartments. The house he lived in belonged to his grandfather, who during the Second World War had built a bomb shelter. He was highly concerned with cleanliness and order. Outwardly, He appeared to be a conventional and bourgeois man, possessing a fragile and shy manner, and exhibited no evidence or traces of evil and violence. However, this facade of civic normality would quickly crumble. Arriving at his house, Wolfgang covered her with a blanket to prevent her from seeing her surroundings. Natasha was taken to a dark, smelly room where she was thrown to the floor. She felt paralysed for a long time and did not move until she worked up the courage to take the blanket off her head. The place was pitch dark. Natasha covered herself back up, huddled under the blanket and cried. Later the kidnapper brought her a lamp and she was able to see the room. It was small and empty, with a toilet and a double sink in the corner. Wolfgang was using the bombshelter built by his grandfather as makeshift prison, a five-meter square prison. When Natasha didn't come home as expected, her mother went to the school. On learning that her daughter had not shown up that morning, she immediately notified the police. The next day, they launched a search for the girl deploying hundreds of police officers and sniffer dogs to search a large area around the school and the housing complex where she lived. Helicopters flew over the area, posters were handed out and many people provided information to the police. But it was all in vain. The large-scale searches were called off just three days after the kidnapping and the police focused on interrogating Natasha's family circle. The media spoke extensively about the case and published Natasha's photo and description. More than 130 tips were received by the police. However, they failed to investigate the one lead that could have actually saved Natasha. A 12-year-old girl reported seeing a girl being dragged into a white pickup truck with tinted windows on Melangasa Street. At first... The police did not take this information seriously. Natasha not only spent the first night in captivity, but for the next six months, she did not leave there for a single moment. Little by little, the kidnapper furnished the small captivity space with items he brought and some necessities the girl asked for. Food, clothes books, games, coloured pencils, markers, and even a games computer, he was cultivating an identity as her protector. However, he later demonstrated his high level of paranoia and psychopathy. From the outset, Natasha was subjected to various types of torture, which at first were less harsh, but became extremely violent over time. The captivity space had a fan that made an unbearable and constant noise. The kidnapper left the light on all the time, the odour of the place was unpleasant. This practice is known as sensory torture, which results in profound physical exhaustion, mental confusion and an inability to think coherently. This was exactly what the kidnapper wanted. Although at first Wolfgang tried to be pleasant and helpful, He soon began using various methods of oppression to ensure that she would never try to escape or retaliate against him, saying things like, "'If you don't do what I say, I will take away the light, and you will be left in complete darkness. "'If you won't be a good girl to me, I'll kill you.'" Soon afterwards, he began to exhibit changes in mood for no apparent reason, becoming suddenly angry and aggressive. The daily threats and the inconstant mood of her jailer forced Natasha to adapt to her situation. She controlled her fear and tried to live up to the kidnapper's expectations. Perhaps, subconsciously, her experience of childhood punishment shaped her into a strong young woman. The days passed and Natasha was aware that she would not be able to escape. Her only hope was the police searches and she firmly believed she would be rescued. Obviously, she had no idea what was going on outside. When alone, she used to cry, but when the kidnapper came to her to bring her food twice a day, she would talk and interact with him, begging him to release her. Faced with Wolf's indifference, she asked him to play with her and stay there longer. Loneliness was a torment for the girl. The outside world was no longer her world. Natasha was an isolated child, and as contradictory as it may seem, she felt safer in his presence. After a few weeks, the kidnapper started a new type of torture, psychological torture. He told Natasha that he had approached her parents to ask them to pay a ransom, but that they had shown no interest in rescuing her. Your parents don't love you, They don't want you back. They're happy because they finally got rid of you. You are very lucky that I agreed to stay with you here. You have to be grateful to me. The constant repetition of those cruel words for a child increased the uncertainty that Natasha had already felt before her captivity. By undermining the girl's belief in her family, The kidnapper shook an important foundation of her self-confidence and she became increasingly emotionally dependent on him. Furthermore, the fight she had with her mother the night before the kidnapping and the fact that she had left for school the next day without saying goodbye to her fueled her guilt that the kidnapping could be punishment for her bad behaviour. It is common for victims to blame themselves for the crime committed against them but it is very sad to think that a girl of just 10 years old felt this. In the meantime, the police decided to act on the statement of the 12 year old girl who witnessed Natasha being kidnapped. They released the girl's testimony and announced that in the coming days, white pickup trucks would be examined. This gave Wolfgang enough time to prepare. The police went to his house 40 days after the kidnapping and asked him to show them the vehicle. The kidnapper had filled it with rubble, claiming he was renovating the house. The police did not examine the truck, they just took Polaroid photos. While Wolfgang did not have an alibi for the day of the kidnapping, the police were satisfied and did not examine the house. They apologised for the inconvenience and left. It's unbelievable to think that the kidnapping could have only lasted 40 days if the police had done their job properly. A few days later, Wolfgang increased the level of psychological torture on Natasha. He continued to lie to her. I gave up asking your parents for a ransom because they no longer communicate with me. They are not very interested in you. You have seen my face and know me very well. So I can't free you, but I decided that I will take care of you in any way possible. The kidnapper remained calm, ignored the girl's despair and left. She was ten years old, alone and facing a life of imprisonment.
1: Hey.
0: The months passed, Natasha stopped asking her kidnapper to release her as she was convinced it was of no use. She arranged her captivity space with care. She cleaned every corner and decorated the bunker with drawings and paintings. She tried to create in that dark place a refuge, a welcoming environment in which she could feel protected. Her kidnapper brought her a television, VCR, walkman and radio. Natasha spent her days in the company of books, TV shows and music. These were vital to maintain her mental health. However, they were also used as blackmail and punishment by the kidnapper. She lost the right to these items when she was not good. It turns out that it was not possible to predict or understand what the kidnapper considered being good. Sometimes for the silliest of reasons. He would deprive her of the things she loved most. His mood swings became increasingly unpredictable. As he became more and more obsessed with controlling her, the kidnapper installed an intercom in the bunker so that he could speak to her without having to go down there. Over time, Natasha realised that it was more than a controlling mechanism. The intercom would also be used to torture her. He called non-stop, asking her what she was doing every minute of the day. Often, when he was angry, he shouted, and if she didn't answer the device, he would race down. Almost a year into captivity, Natasha became depressed and apathetic. Her emotional state bothered the kidnapper. He did not know how to deal with her sadness He tried to cheer her up with games or sweets, but nothing worked. Then he offered something she had asked for several times, which he always denied her. A bath. A real bath. Until then, Natasha had cleaned herself in a sink in the bunker. She washed herself as best he could, but it wasn't pleasant at all. The promise of a bath made her very excited. Not for the bath but for the possibility of leaving there for the first time and seeing her kidnapper's house. Wolfgang made many threats and rules. If you scream, I'll kill you. The doors and windows are rigged with explosives. If you try to run away, you die. Don't try to mess up. I'm watching you. Natasha agreed to his terms. One night, the kidnapper opened her prison door and ordered Natasha to follow him. She saw for the first time that she was trapped deep underground, hermetically sealed by a reinforced concrete door which weighed more than 150 kilos. To access the top floor they passed through a narrow tunnel, climbed a staircase, then exited the basement through another door which was hidden behind an iron safe and a chest of drawers. She saw that any attempt to escape would be futile. No one would ever be able to hear her scream, much less find her. The entrance to her captivity space was very well hidden. If something happened to the kidnapper and she was down there in captivity, it would be like she'd been buried alive. Natasha went upstairs and took her much-desired bath under the surveillance of her kidnapper. Everything went very quickly and she soon returned to her underground prison. Shortly after this episode, he first became physically aggressive with Natasha. Until then, he had only shouted at her a few times, cursed her, humiliated her, but he had never lost control. One day, he was in the bunker installing a suspended bunk bed and some shelves and was using a drill. Natasha asked him a simple question, why was he screwing the shelf in there? And furious, he shouted to her, Have you forgotten that you can only talk to me when I allow you to? Who do you think you are? That's why nobody wants you around. You're a nuisance and you just disrupt people's lives. He threw the drill with all his might towards Natasha. Fortunately, she managed to avoid it and the drill didn't hit her. But that incident made an important impression on the girl. Now she knew that he was absolutely capable of hurting her if she didn't obey him. This made her even more scared and submissive. Christmas was approaching and it was unbearable to think that she would spend the holidays alone in captivity. Like any child, Natasha loved Christmas and this would be the first time she would spend it away from her family. The kidnapper tried to ease her sadness with gifts and even placed a small Christmas tree in the bunker. He also gave her sweets and a special meal. But the girl's sadness didn't lift. As the new year began, Natasha felt that the outside world was moving further and further away from her. Her memories of her old life became dark and unreal as her visits to the upper floor became more frequent. Twice a week, she could shower upstairs and sometimes eat and watch television. Although this represented some relief from confinement in captivity and even an opportunity to escape, Natasha did not feel in any way encouraged. When she was upstairs, she felt as if she was attached to her kidnapper by an invisible chain. He forced her to stand and always walk no more than one metre away from him. She had to keep her head down and never look up. Wolfgang wanted Natasha to completely detach herself from her past life, He forbade her from mentioning her parents, her family or any aspect of her previous life and he would become very aggressive if she said anything in that regard. She had to demonstrate gratitude towards him for having rescued her from her unhappy past. He also said she was no longer called Natasha and allowed her to choose a new name. She chose the name Bibiana, a character from a book she liked. At the end of her second year in captivity, her kidnapper was sure that he had bound her in a prison much stronger than an underground bunker with a concrete door. This was the psychological prison. Sure of this, he granted her something she really wanted, a few moments outside the house, in the open air. Time passed, Natasha grew up, and at the age of 12, she got her period for the first time. The kidnapper was very confused by this, and his paranoia reached an unprecedented level. He became hysterical when Natasha sat somewhere, afraid that she would mark the furniture and treated her as if she were dirty and disgusting. But from that moment on, she was no longer a child, and he began to delegate domestic chores to her. Natasha cooked and cleaned the house alone, always observed receiving harsh criticism and strict orders. Nothing was ever clean enough for Wolfgang and she had to do and redo the same tasks over and over again. In addition to domestic work, Natasha was forced to help with renovation work on the upper floor of the house. She completed heavy tasks which were far beyond her strength and capabilities. She was just 12 years old and was subjected to forced prison labour. One day, while they were working on the renovation, Wolfgang asked Natasha to pass him a tool. When he saw that Natasha had given him the wrong tool, he became extremely angry. He shouted and picked up a heavy bag of cement and threw it at her. The bag hit her hard and she fell to the ground. It seems that this opened the door to his uncontrolled rage, and from this point on, He regularly beat her. He reacted violently to inattention, error or any behaviour that displeased him. Slaps, punches, kicks and shoves were now part of the daily routine. Natasha was covered in bruises and in constant pain. But she couldn't cry or lament because this would irritate him even more. Sometimes she couldn't even find a position to sleep. So much was the pain in her body At 14, Natasha spent the night upstairs for the first time. It was not liberating for her because the kidnapper kept her inside a room with the door locked and locked up with plastic handcuffs. It was the first of many nights that Natasha would sleep in her captor's bed. Shortly after sleeping in this room, Natasha tried to take her own life for the first time. Convinced that she would never escape... And exhausted from her mistreatment, it appeared to be the only way out. She tried to strangle herself using articles of clothing, but was unable to do so. She made another attempt at age 15, using a sewing needle to slit her wrists. But she couldn't go all the way. It was then that the kidnapper began a new type of torture. He started to control and ration Natasha's food portions He said she was ugly and fat, and that he was going to limit her food for her own good. At first, the restrictions were light. Then the food rationing turned into a campaign of terror, which drove Natasha, at 16 years old, to the brink of starvation. Food portions were drastically reduced. He would occasionally leave her without food for days at a time, as a form of punishment and torture. She felt increasingly weak, powerless, and sometimes she couldn't even stand up. It was another way for Wolfgang to keep her defenceless and under control, after all. Who could have the strength to run away when you are starving? Increasingly paranoid about cleanliness, the kidnapper started to worry about Natasha's hair, and he made her put a plastic bag over her head every time they went upstairs but this did not last long because he soon decided to shave her head. At 16, Natasha was bald, pale and gaunt. She weighed only 38 kilos, but her appearance did not bother the kidnapper. He demanded that Natasha walk around the house half-naked, wearing just her underwear and a cap. It was a tactic designed to prevent her from running away. He was convinced that she would not run out into the street half-naked. Natasha made a third attempt on her own life. In captivity, she had an electric griddle to prepare semi-cooked meals. She lit the stove and placed rolls of toilet paper on it so that they would catch fire. But when the small room began to fill with smoke, making the air almost impossible to breathe, her will to live returned with full vigour. Coughing profusely and barely able to open her eyes, she wet some clothes and threw them over the burning papers. This was a decisive event. From that moment on, Natasha was determined to survive and also to escape. She decided that she could endure any torment as she waited for the right moment to escape. At 17, Natasha began writing every day in a notebook all the attacks carried out by her kidnapper. These records seemed to somehow give her more strength and built a psychological resilience. August 20th, 2005 This morning, violent punches to the head, right shoulder, stomach, back, ear and eye, screaming, swearing and pushing as I went down the stairs. He strangled me, Sat on top of me and pressed my mouth, suffocating me. He threw objects at me and pushed me violently against the bedside table. August 21st, 2005. Morning complaints. Breakfast without cereal. Swearing for no reason. Punches, kicks and pushes. Slaps to the face. He scratched my gums with his finger. August 23rd, 2005 blows with a broom to the left elbow, arm and wrist, knees to the stomach. He wanted me to kneel, slaps, punches. I didn't receive food today. As Wolfgang violently attacked Natasha and became increasingly out of control, fearful at the possibility that his crime would be discovered, he also expressed a desire to live a normal life. He wanted them to leave the house together, to go on tours and to go shopping. It was then that after so many threats to kill her and to kill anyone she dared to ask for help, he took her out of the house for the first time. They drove by car and stopped briefly in an empty forest. After that first outing, Wolfgang was encouraged by Natasha's submissive attitude and he subsequently took her out of the house more often. Even though these trips were a great risk, he was convinced that Natasha would not have the courage to escape or ask for help due to the psychological prison in which he had confined her. They visited the pharmacy, the shopping mall and the construction materials store. She behaved as he expected. Even when she was approached by salespeople in attendance, this real chance of liberation became something so distressing and frightening that she was unable to react. On another occasion, the greatest opportunity for salvation presented itself when they were stopped by the police. Faced with a police officer who approached them calmly asking for documents, Natasha just prayed that her expression would communicate to the officer that she needed help, as she was unable to move or speak. But nothing happened, and they were quickly released to go on their way. Wolfgang seemed satisfied with this new phase, in which he could fulfil his fantasy of a normal life with Natasha without her posing any danger to him. Just before the girl's 18th birthday, the man, who knew that Natasha liked skiing and he himself loved the sport, decided that the two of them would take a short trip to a ski resort. Natasha, although very thin and weak, managed to ski and enjoy the false day of freedom. Until at one point, she asked to go to the bathroom. As he couldn't enter the women's bathroom, Wolfgang took her to the door and reinforced all the usual threats. The bathroom was empty. But when Natasha was in the cubicle, she heard the door open and someone entered. Natasha left her cubicle in a hurry and met a woman. For the first time in years, she was alone with another person. Natasha gathered what little strength she had and spoke to the woman. Frightened, she said, with very low volume, words that were inconsistent. The woman just smiled and left. She was a Dutch tourist and had not understood anything that Natasha had said.
2: Venha conhecer o podcast Pátria Amada Criminal. Todas as semanas tentamos entender o pior da humanidade. Nesse processo a gente ri, chora, fica brava, fofoca, porque afinal de contas é assim que a gente fala quando está entre amigos.
1: Suas novas melhores amigas trevosas estão aqui no Pátria Amada Criminal.
0: On her 18th birthday, on February 17th, 2006, Wolfgang went out of his way to please her with a large birthday cake Shaped like the numbers 1 and 8, covered with icing and decorations. He gave her an orange dress and other gifts. For her, birthdays had a significant meaning. She was a child when she was kidnapped. She survived her adolescence as a slave, and now, she was a young adult. But she didn't want to continue living this way. She just had to wait for the right opportunity. On August 23, 2006, Natasha had been Wolf's prisoner for exactly 3,096 days. Around noon, Wolfgang took Natasha to the back of the property and ordered her to clean the white truck, which he was putting up for sale. He handed her the vacuum cleaner and watched her work. Suddenly his cell phone rang. He walked away a little to answer it. However... The noise of the vacuum cleaner did not allow him to hear the person on the other end of the line well. Absorbed in the conversation, he moved further away, eventually leaving Natasha's field of vision. She was alone. For the first time in eight and a half years, the kidnapper had allowed her to be both out of his sight and outside the house. Everything happened very quickly. With superhuman strength, Natasha put down the vacuum cleaner and went to the open garden gate. Her ears rang and her lungs hurt, but she didn't stop or look back. She ran until she came across a group of three people walking towards her. She asked for a mobile phone, but they didn't have one. Her first opportunity to get help was thwarted. With tears in her eyes, Natasha didn't wait and again ran. She saw a house and jumped over the garden fence. The doorbell rang and no one answered. She then began to jump over the hedges that separated the gardens from neighbouring houses until he saw a lady through a window. Desperately knocking on the glass, she asked for help. Please call the police. I was kidnapped. My name is Natasha Kampush. Unbelievably, the lady's response was something like, Oh my God. Why did you end up at my house? Wait behind the fence and be careful with my garden. Despite this lady's lacking response, within a short time, two police officers arrived. Natasha was safe. The Natasha case generated a lot of interest around the world. The images of the girl with very white legs covered in bruises wearing a blue blanket, quickly appeared on the news on five continents. In the police car, Natasha was informed that they had not found the kidnapper at the address she had provided to the police and that there were numerous police teams looking for him. Natasha knew that Wolfgang would kill himself if she ran away. Later that day, they discovered his body. He had thrown himself onto the tracks at a train station. At the police station, Natasha's parents met her. As expected, it was a very emotional reunion, with lots of hugs, tears, smiles and kind words. Natasha once again experienced the feeling of love and protection after so many years. She asked about her grandmother, whom she loved so much, and learned that she had passed away two years previous. This news hurt her greatly, but she had become an expert at enduring pain and hiding her suffering. To protect Natasha from press harassment, she spent her first night of freedom in a hotel, where an entire floor had been reserved for her. She was accompanied by a psychologist the entire time. It was only the next day that Natasha learned that Wolfgang was dead. She experienced intense and contradictory feelings with this news, but it was at that moment that she truly felt free. The road to a new life in freedom would be long and cautious. Natasha spent her first days in a psychiatric ward at the Vienna Central Hospital, surrounded by attentive staff and care workers, but she was still separated from the outside world. The media was frantic to obtain photos and statements from Natasha and her family, while at the same time publishing false versions and assumptions about everything that had happened. Two weeks after her escape, Natasha decided to put an end to speculation and tell her story. The interview she gave to the TV channel ORF brought strong repercussions and it was sold and shown in several countries around the world. Much was said about Natasha's posture in that interview which, in the opinion of some, did not demonstrate the physical and emotional weakness that would be expected in a person who had gone through years of torture and slavery. Furthermore, she did not reveal any negative feelings towards the kidnapper. The interview further fueled speculation about the case, and many news and TV programmes claimed that Natasha was suffering from Stockholm Syndrome, a label that to this day she vehemently refuses to carry. Furthermore, they accused her of enriching herself at the expense of her personal tragedy through the sale of interviews. People also questioned the fact that Natasha preferred to live alone, instead of staying at her mother's house. At first, the wave of empathy was huge, but the media wouldn't leave it alone. They created increasingly absurd versions of her story, making it appear that the terrible truth was not terrible enough, denying the kidnapped victim's authority as an interpreter. In 2007, Natasha's mother published a book Desperate Years, My Life Without Natasha which became a bestseller in Europe. Natasha publicly repudiated this believing it to be a betrayal by her mother who exposed in the book some facts about Wolfgang that she had wished to keep private. She tried to adapt to life in freedom and faced difficulties in dealing with fame and harassment from the media especially from her country. Among the events that marked her first years of freedom, the most notable were obtaining her high school diploma and the donation she received from the Austrian government of Wolf's home as compensation for the damages suffered. In 2010, four years after her escape, Natasha published her autobiography, 3096 Days. The work was translated into several languages and became a bestseller in many countries. In the book, Natasha talks about her life before the kidnapping and tells of her terrible experience in captivity. In fact, much of what is presented in this case was taken from this book which I highly recommend to anyone who wants to delve much deeper into this case. The book is very moving, and it allows us to learn the facts through the truthful and sensitive account by the victim herself. I'm just warning you, it contains strong details about physical attacks and torture, details that I didn't share here. Natasha published two other books. In 2016, on the occasion of the 10th anniversary of her escape, she launched Ten Years of Freedom. More recently... In 2019, she published Cybernider, where she denounces the brutal harassment she has suffered online, receiving hateful messages and threats to her life. She has lived alone, reclusively and reserved in her apartment in the centre of Vienna. She rarely goes out into the streets so as to avoid being recognised and insulted. She continues to be harassed through phone calls and social media. Some people accuse her of having been Wolf's accomplice and a voluntary hostage during her years of captivity. She receives messages filled with hate and violence. Such harassment has already made her think about moving away from Austria. This case is very intriguing and complex. Due to the enormous repercussions generated, there is a lot of information available about the events that occurred and also about the theories that the media and society have constructed. It is very complicated for someone to think they can judge the behaviour of a person who has gone through unimaginable atrocities and even worse, to think that they have the right to spread hatred and violence against the victim, condemning them to a new type of prison, a social prison where their freedom to act and be is limited by society's merciless judgment.
1: Hey!